Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of thecinematropolis.com, your home to thoughtful conversations on film. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and today we are here to exercise the mediocre filmmaking. We're going to be talking about the most unexpected Exorcist movie of the year. came from a pair of indie film directors. I'm so excited to review Talk to Me and... Uh, JK, that's the movie I wish we were talking about today. Today, we are talking about The Exorcist Believer. We're going to start with an icebreaker question before jumping into a spoiler-free review discussion of the film, where we'll provide a verdict along with some other recommendations, and then we'll conclude the conversation with an in-depth spoiler discussion. Joining me today... First podcast in two months, I think. A lot of life things happening, people getting married and all sorts of shenanigans. Uh, rejoining me today, though, after over two months away from the microphone, my co-host and the award-winning Oklahoma filmmaker, Laron Chapman. Laron, welcome back to the show. It's great to see you, sir. It's great to be back. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, I, I wanted to prepare a very special occasion. You know, after our Halloween ends review last year, I thought this is the one oh, to man. bring us back. Oh, man. <laughs> you don't love me. <laughs> Speaking of Halloween ends, I'm very excited to be rejoined by our uh, one of our guest reviewers from that film. He's a contributor at Lit Reactor, also the Cinematropolis, Christopher Schultz. Chris, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. And rejoining us, frequent Scream reviewer. And uh, <laughs> I was like, wait, <laughs> I was already intro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's, re- he's joined us for both of our Scream reviews and many other films. Uh, also, horror aficionado Brock Lay, as I like to call him, the Brockness monster of art directors out there. Brock, welcome back, sir. Hey, thanks for having me and looking forward to uh, Scream 7. I'll definitely be back. Hey, you sent me a rumor the other day that it might take place at Christmas. And, and I sent you the best uh, tagline possible for it so if it takes place during christmas it's scream seven a wonderful knife yeah uh, nice, i'm in nice i i could get it i could get down on that i even tweeted that and nobody went back on it nobody i'm sorry even liked it. I, i'm sorry so brock i haven't ta- i forgot i told you i am i have effectively removed twitter from my normal day-to-day now mm, okay. i do tweet okay. things out occasionally but i, I stop scrolling like i'll log on to tweet Hey, we did this episode or this random opinion about something that doesn't really matter that much. Yeah. But I haven't been scrolling. So therefore, I haven't been seeing your tweets. Also, I'm not going to get into it, but I feel like the algorithm favors a lot of people I don't care about their opinions as much. And I see stuff I don't want to see. That's what I told myself why no one liked it. That's it. You killed the algorithm. Absolutely. Elon Musk was the uh, exorcism (laughs) demon the whole time. Uh, And last, but certainly not least, from... The Good Trash Genre Cast and co-founder of Good Trash Media, Dustin Sells, one of my oldest podcasting friends, like, if not the, uh, I guess Daniel still holds that uh, unique uh, reputation, but Dustin Sells, welcome to the show. Thrilled to be here. Thank you. Uh, well, Dustin, I know you love horror movies. I do. And I have <laughs> I sit here every year, I'm like, okay, when are we going to get to a horror movie that I feel like Dustin would actually be into? And uh, this year I went Exorcist Believer. So mm-hmm. hopefully we'll find out, but uh, hopefully it piqued your interest at least somewhat. Hey, listeners, before we get into today's conversation, I wanted to note that if you're listening to the show and you enjoy the conversation, make sure to support us by subscribing and leaving us a rating and a review on your preferred podcast app that's most important with Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow, subscribe, rate, and review. Also, you can find us on our social media platforms for The Cinematropolis, A, the website, thecinematropolis.com, or while we're technically on Twitter, we're actually more active, um, kind of, on threads. 
I'm still not sure about threads, but we're, we're threading things out there. And, of course, on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Ascend Metropolis. Uh, Laurent, have you gotten on threads yet, my friend? I haven't gotten on threads yet. Maybe I should. Um, I haven't heard enough of a splash from it. So um, I think once I know enough people are on it, then... The first six I'll hours, all acquiesce. The first six hours were incredible. Yes, and since then nobody's <laughs> nobody's threaded since. It, you're totally right. Uh, it was it, it was it was an incredible experience. It's like, uh, and it came. Zuckerberg was very smart at the very exact. It was the like two days after Elon Musk had. They had to throttle the tweets you could view. Mm. It was like the next like the next business day. They're like, and here's threads, and everyone went ham on the platform. <laughs> it's like, gosh, Twitter's yeah. back, and then. And then nothing happened. (laughs) Yeah. No one one does it now. Uh, Well, to break the ice today, we've been on a long hiatus. Our last review was uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, also featuring uh, Arthur Gordon from the Good Trash Genre cast. And uh, we quite liked that movie. And by the way, this is the world we live in now. It's already on Paramount+. Plus. (laughs) Listen to that review for our in-depth thoughts, but check it out. But since then, there's been a number of movies released. Uh, We have, uh, I mean, things like... Another franchise like Saw X, we've got indies like Fair Play, The Wonderful Life of uh, Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar. That's right, we get a four, not one, not two, but four Wes Anderson short films on Netflix. Dumb money, so many movies to talk about that we missed. So, as our icebreaker this week, I want to go around the table and ask you, what is one movie that you caught since we last recorded in August? Why would you recommend it? Or maybe you want to warn us from watching it because it's so bad. And Lauren Chapman, my co-host, I'll start with you. In the spirit of October and spooky season, I will go with Saw X, um, just because it, it we're living in a world where I did not think that I was going to prefer that over certain other horror movies that, to release this year. Um, and with it being the ninth entry, or the 10th entry, the 10th entry, nine entries before, um, I'm surprised with how much detail they gave to character. And it, to say that it's nuanced and there's subtlety in a Saw movie, just seems very, um, I mean, I'm kind of bold right there, you know? And so I was surprised by the first 30 minutes, just we're not getting, we're not getting our traditional, you know, that traditional vibe, you know? Um, it doesn't feel schlocky. It feels like, okay, we're investing, we're going deep in there. That said, I, I still think it's not my favorite entry in the in the series, but I do think it's the most well-made one in the series. So um, highly recommend that one if you're a fan of the franchise. And even if you were before and weren't and, this, this might bring you back in. Uh, and the nice thing about it is, I, I should note, um, Saw, known for having an especially convoluted, complex, uh, soap opera-like storyline, uh, which I'm a big fan of, by the way. Yeah. Saw X, you really... Very honestly, streamlined. very straightforward. You could just have seen the first one and watched this one and have no issues whatsoever in terms of uh, yeah. in terms of following the movie that's yeah. how simple it is yeah um i we were we were walking out of uh, the exorcist the other night actually and i was talk, talking with you and brock and i was like it's kind of like they made logan but like what jigsaw <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's like it's like i know it's not set later but it's very somber and character focused and yeah. him kind of reflecting on his mortality you're like this is and strange. i've been saying it and i don't I, you know to say that I'm rooting for Jigsaw is a really weird statement, too, uh, at least in this entry. I won't say every single one. But this one, I'm kind of like, no, I get it. <laughs> His moral code is a lot more clear Yeah, this one. Because I feel like some people kind of just got like, is that the reason why? Do they really need, do they deserve to be here? I don't know. These people, bad apples. <laughs> so. That said, I I can't help but laugh anytime he says, murders, they're terrible. Killers, it's awful crimes. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's, it's really funny. Brock Lay, what is one thing you've been watching? Uh, one recent one I watched was No One Will Save You oh, yeah. uh, with Caitlin Dever. And 
for a movie. It was I did not anticipate there being zero dialogue save like one line, and uh, it was very engaging. It was a great movie. The it jumps right into it, like right into the aliens. Shows them there's no you know waiting and building it up. It just goes right into it, and it was a great movie. Had a really kind of a cool ending. Whenever you realize like the entire movie kind of that like, she's kind of been you know shunned from the town, so the ending was pretty cool. Yeah, that's a really neat one that I felt like came out of nowhere pop yeah. when it popped on Hulu and all of a sudden the whole internet was talking about it. Laurent and I were talking about this. Would you say, Laurent, the perfect movie for a, a streamer? A street, yeah, it didn't, yeah, that's like there's we, yeah, we discussed how some movies feel like, oh, that could have been a theatrical release, it should have been. This one feels like it should have been a streaming film and it works as a streaming film. I, I feel like it is definitely a be in your home by yourself watch because just because of the zero dialogue, I feel like it would be ruined in. In a movie theater with other oh, people. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, really impressive. I think it's a great recommend. Now streaming on Hulu. Um, yeah, good recommend. Chris Schultz, how about you? Uh, do you want the most recent new release or just one of the – something I've watched? Something you've watched in the last month that you care to talk about. You felt strongly about it one way or the other. So I watched Jennifer's Body for the first time. Oh, I've never nice. actually seen it. Um, and I enjoyed it. It was quite good. Um can definitely recommend it. So it holds up, what, 12 years later? Yeah, yeah 2009. Oh, gosh. Wow. It's a strange follow-up to an Oscar-winning Juno script, mm -hmm. but it, yeah. it's still a lot of fun for what it is, Very I felt like. So. Yeah. And it made me not despise Megan Fox, because I did mm -hmm. before. You know, and I was like, actually, she's got some comedic chops. She's kind of... She's good, yeah. yeah. That was so. her leaning into her type in a good way. Mm -hmm. I really wish she would have kept doing that, but... Yeah. Uh, but then I guess we wouldn't have gotten her in the Expendables 4. Hey, I bet you didn't know that came out. Uh, <laughs> hey, Dustin, you guys did a show once upon a time on Jennifer's body, right? Uh, did we do? I don't think we've done. Maybe did, not. Did, it's come up on the show. It's, maybe, yeah, it's yeah, off. Okay. Kirsten Thurkelson, when she's a guest, almost always it's in her mix of recommends for a syllabus. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a good watch. And it got the marketing. The marketing does not re reflect reflect positively on that film but i think it's a lot smarter than it gets credit for yeah for yeah, sure definitely set her up for uh ninja turtles so. oh yeah <laughs> then not great April one, no. oh yeah that was great. A joke. <laughs> uh you know can we just pre i think we've we've gone to the next iteration of the turtles i think we can all collectively just pretend those didn't exist now no. you know we go hey, yeah yeah we remember the ones from the 80s and the 90s and then we skip the 2010s and here we are in 2020 i'll even take tmnt Oh, yeah, the animated one. The animated one. Yeah, I love good. that movie. Yeah, it's a, good, it's a good time. Great voice talent. I love it. Dustin Sells, how about you? What is something you've watched recently? Well, I guess I have to be really, really on brand. So I've got a Danish by way of Dutch movie, a horror movie, uh, Speak No Evil, I saw oh. recently on Shudder. Yes. On my watch list for this year. Dude, I'm telling you what. It is the the best kind of, uh, that, that low countries kind of horror where there's not, you know, the the boiling bunnies on the, you know, kind of stuff and the gore factor. It doesn't, there, there's a harrowing last 10 minutes of the movie. And otherwise you are just continuing to ratchet up dread, uh, for the rest of the movie. And it's really, really well done, well paced. And, um, what if you went on vacation with new friends and you don't really know them? And it turns out you probably should have found out more about them before you went on vacation with friends. It's, it's a great, uh, it's not a great time. It's a very awful time. I was going to say, but it's, a, it's, a, it's a bleak, it's a bleak, but, but very, very effective effective film yeah, yeah. i like that I, I i'll mark that down as a good time i yeah. mean not not the vacation yeah. part just the there was a meme recently and it had that and i can't remember the other four i think it was like midsummer hereditary it was like the feel awful genre if you want to feel like shit after these movies <laughs> mm -hmm. here are the four movies to watch not that they're not good but that definitely it's one of those fits yeah that bill. and that's on shutter it's on shutter 
Excellent. Listeners, check it out. It is on my watch list this year. I missed it. I think it came out last year, and I heard, uh, in fact, Dalton uh, from the Good Trash Genre cast had recommended it to me. And He's the one who made me watch it. Yeah. Uh, so that ties in really well uh, with uh, talk about a ba- feel-bad movie with great use of tension. I'm going to say Fair Play, a movie now streaming on Netflix. This is a film uh, from first-time uh, feature-length film director Chloe DeMont. Uh, it stars, I'm going to butcher her last name, Phoebe Denver. Denver uh, from Bridgerton. And Alden, uh, I always pronounce his wrong, uh, Ellen Reich. I'm saying that right. But the Han Solo. Han Solo, uh, most famously, uh, from the Solo prequel. And the movie is a, it's a couple. They both work for a hedge fund, a very cutthroat hedge fund. And essentially, they're in love. There's actually a company policy that you can't date coworkers, but they do the whole secret love affair anyway. Movie opens with him proposing to her. And they, they're like committed to sticking with each other no matter what. And then you go to the office and see that the dynamics are a little different. The outward selves versus their inward selves, a little different, especially when, and I won't say which direction it goes, one of them gets promoted. And uh, the other one is maybe trying to put on a good game face for it. Anyway, wow. <laughs> the movie is super intense. Great, 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 great pacing. Uh-huh. Like ratchets it up. But it gets grossly uncomfortable by the last third where, to the point to where if I, I saw it uh, at a press screener in a theater, if I was at home, I might've got it up and started pacing around because it's just like the, the places it goes, we're seeing how the, the, the bleeding in between work and uh, personal life it's just can get pretty toxic pretty fast, man. You know, gender politics. And, Big time. Uh, yeah. It just, but yeah, it's spoiling the fragility of the male ego. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's a big one. Uh, also notable. The movie was produced by Ryan Johnson and Ram Bergman among others. Uh, and, uh, anyway, just want to say kudos to Ryan Johnson for leveraging his name and brand and platform to really, I think, try to elevate filmmakers who might not have had a seat at the table. Cause I think this came out at Sundance. Uh, yes. I've been hearing about it for like months and months. I'm like, when is it coming out? Like they keep, you know, teasing it, and finally it came out on Netflix. It was perfect. You know, so it came out at the right time. I gotta say, I really enjoyed uh, reading your review on Threads. Sponsored by Threads. <laughs> <laughs> Zucks give. I got that Zuck money. Uh, okay, <laughs> listeners, what have you been watching? Let us know by emailing us at thecinematropolis.com or hitting us up uh, at any of those social media channels we mentioned before. But without further ado, let's get into our spoiler-free review of The Exorcist: Believer. What do you think evil is? I'll tell you what I think it is. We're born in this world with hope and dreams and a desire to be happy. Dad? Something's going on with my daughter. It's happening to my daughter too. The devil has one wish. Wherever those girls went, they brought something back with them. To make us lose faith. I believe you can help get our daughters back. To kill it in us. And the devil never gives up. According to IMDb, the exorcist believer is described as when two girls disappear into the woods and return three days later with no memory of what happened to them, the father of one girl seeks out Chris McNeil, who's been forever altered by what happened to her daughter 50 years ago. In real time. The original came out in 73. This is the sixth installment of the Exorcist franchise. The most recent entry was Dominion, prequel to the Exorcist. This gets a little dicey, though. 
I actually learned something. That's the Skarsgård one, right? Yes. It's, okay. okay, but it's, it's here's what's interesting. The Dominion was directed by Paul Schrader. So apparently they had filmed an entire version of The Exorcist Beginning that the studio lost total faith in, the, directed by Paul Schrader, and then handed it off to a different director who did reshoots. Rennie and, Harlan, by yes. the way. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, just I, I wanted to interject that the, the different director is, in fact, Rennie Harlan. Yeah, uh, he did He did the comic book Freddy, didn't he? Yeah, yeah the yeah, comic book Freddy. Yeah. Uh, He's responsible for that. Yeah. The long goodbye, the long good night, what? long kiss, good night, long kiss, good night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I do like that one. Which is not uh, a bad yeah, movie, no. solid. Bernie Hollerland's not the worst person in the world, but you know, to make an exorcist film, I think. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, and not only that, to take Schrader, yeah, exactly, <laughs> no and also to to be like, hey, uh, can you just take Paul Schrader's movie and like rework oh. it? and then release that. And then it was called The Exorcist Beginning. So it says technically, officially by release, this is the sixth entry, but I would say really The Exorcist Beginning and Dominion prequel to The Exorcist, despite having different directors, is pretty much the same movie because Skarsgård is in both of them. It's the same mm-hmm. cast and everything. They're, they're, very, they're very, yeah, they're, they're almost the same movie, but they're so different in tone. Um, so, to, so different. And the beginning is... I actually enjoyed Dominion, but uh, the beginning, not as much. It was the original Zack Snyder's Justice League. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This film features the return of Ellen Burstyn in her first appearance since the 1973 original. Uh, Although she's referenced in, I believe, if uh, you guys can fact check me if I'm wrong about this, I'm pretty sure she's referenced in at least three of them. Universal and Peacock paid an estimated $400 million for the rights to an exorcist trilogy with partners, Bloomhouse and Morgan Creek. So not for just this first one, but for the right to make the rights to make a trilogy of movies, they paid $400 million. I think that, I think that was risky no matter who took this. Oh on. yeah. Yeah. You know, um, but you have a lot of faith and, and listen, we're all, we're all believers in the exorcist, the original, <laughs> but I mean, for any horror franchise, that's, I mean, a yeah. successful horror movie that makes like 150 million, that's a really overwhelming success for a horror film. Yeah. That said, an opening weekend, this film grossed $27.1 million domestically, so that's in the US, on its opening weekend. And then globally, it came out to $45.1 million, falling short of expectations, but still recouping the $30 million budget, though I, I doubt it also recouped the marketing cost uh, for the film. <laughs> Lastly, and here's where I, I'm really curious to see how it does in week, weekends two and three. The movie was originally scheduled for the perfect release date, Friday the 13th, before it was moved up a week to uh, Friday, August, uh, October 6th, due to the release of Taylor Swift's The Eras Tour movie, a concert film that I'm convinced might be as big as Barbie at this point. <laughs> so, I, I think you're right. It's already $100 million before it's come out in terms of just pre-sales. That's insane for a concert movie. For a tour that just happened. It just ended. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Lauren, it's, maybe we should do an episode on that. It's maybe at the end of the year we just dive into it because it's all there's an interesting story there. That she also circumvented all of the studio, like mm-hmm. the distributors, so she's making all that money herself. Yeah, that's insane. It's insane. Yeah, all her right. marketing costs were <laughs> an Instagram post. <laughs> yeah. <It's>, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I absolutely. I have because I haven't seen a single trailer for it, but, but I've seen it all it. over social media. I, I respect it. I'm just like, wow. I mean, she <laughs> probably during the concert she's probably like, hey. Be sure to check us out in theaters, and everybody just retweeted Did. it, redid whatever they. <laughs> oh yeah, why? Well, I remember the first time I heard about it was people were like, "I got my tickets booked," and I was like, "Wait, in the theater?" And it was because of people who don't go to the theaters yeah. very often. Yeah. yeah. What is it? Largest pre-sale since 
in-game or second to in-game, mm. I think. Yeah, I would say it's it might wild. be them. If it's at 100 mil, it's going to yeah. be close to surpassing a it's game. Insane. Yeah. Uh, all right, gentlemen, I thought it might be good to start the review just before we get into this movie specifically, going around the table, talking about the Exorcist franchise uh, just as a whole. What is our relationship with the film? And uh, Dustin, since I want to say this is the first time if not ever since the pandemic started, at least that you've been on the show, I've never been on the show. See, because I'm a bad friend. That's why. That, that is <laughs> that I, is I, I was here to chastise you. Yes, please do. I, I deserve it. But maybe you could tell us what is your relationship with the Exorcist franchise? Well, I've all as far as the sequels go, I've only seen Exorcist three, and I've seen Dominion, and I saw Dominion a long time ago, and so pretty close to original release time when I caught it. So it's been a, it's been quite a minute on that. I've probably seen the original Exorcist film. 10 times, something like that. Oh, yeah. So I know it's a movie I know really well and I really adore uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, so my, my, my experience is definitely much more with the original entry and uh, the discourse surrounding all of that. And then uh, I had we had a host pick at one point and uh, someone made us watch uh, Exorcist 3 and I'm glad of it. It was it was fun. You know, um, Brad Dourif's in it. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm there for that. Yeah. And so it, it's, it's it the was, one that seems to like I, I discovered with the release of this one. It's the one that people tend to like the most. Of yeah, the I had a good time with it and i remember i mean i was again in my 20s but um i liked dominion when i saw it but i couldn't really give you any thoughtful things i thought there were good ideas going on in it but it's been it's been far too long since i've thought about it mm, maybe we should revisit that as a you know if we were doing patreon content of some sort which we're not but if we were it could be a good, good bonus episode. Um, okay, so Dustin, big fan of the original mm-hmm. casual viewer of a couple of the other sequels mm-hmm. correct brock lay how about you I'm kind of in the same boat. Uh, I've watched the first one numerous times. Uh, I was a kid growing up with a with a dad who loved horror movies, so he would always talk about it, talk about stories of him seeing it in theater and, you know, going home and just being scared. And so we would watch it when I was far too young. I would watch it and have always loved it. Uh, saw three last week for the first time. Really dug that. Uh, made a very shocking discovery that Patrick Ewing <laughs> is in Exorcist 3 in like... For like three seconds, it has no dialogue, but he's like in a mental institution and just kind of sits there. And it's just like, what was the point of that? So that was kind of a fun thing to see. Again, Brad Dorf, Herschel from The Walking Dead's in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Just a, it was a fun movie. And nothing will ever be scarier than the deleted scene that they brought back of Reagan doing the spider walk down the stairs. Mm-hmm. The most terrifying image I've ever seen. So I was re- doing some reading on that. And w- do I understand the spider walk was not included in the very original version? It was like the re-release mm-hmm. version, right? Yeah. Okay. That's really cool. Yeah. Oh, I guess I forgot to mention. I have read the book. Oh, okay, oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that is important. That's important. Christopher Schultz, what is your relationship with The Exorcist? Uh, I've also read the book. Um, I've seen, the again, the original many, many, many times. Um Kind of prefer the director's cut with the, I mean, the, the spider walk is essential, mm-hmm. I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, so love that that's back in the, uh, in the, uh, I think it's called the version you've never seen was what, mm-hmm. how it was released. Um, back when they had cool subtitles for the DVD releases. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I did see it in the movie theater when they re-released oh. it back in, back in 2000, I think it was. Nice. So. Uh, and I've seen all the sequels as well. So, uh, the it, heretic is hilariously bad. Um, it's, it's, uh, 
just a very good time watching a very bad movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do have high praise for Exorcist 3 as well. Um, and also Dominion. But again, the beginning, eh, not as much. I feel like it's it, it would be hard to like love both Dominion and the beginning. And also the beginning got, and again, having not seen it, it flopped and got just trashed by critics at the time. It's it's a Rennie Harlan movie. Um, so, you know, and again, that's not necessarily a, a bad thing. But when it's the exorcist, it's not necessarily what you're what you're looking for. In a, movie. a common theme that in which we might talk about a little more today. In fact, you could say. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Laurent Chapman, what is your relationship with the exorcist franchise? Um, so I. My introduction to it was in theaters when it came back out um, as the version you've never seen. Um, And um, even then, to me, as a, you know, a horror hound, just like, you know, for me, it still was very visceral and exciting. Um, And I understood its its placement as one of the scariest movies of all time Um, because it just, it works on an emotional level um that some horror movies don't and i think that because it it grips you it gets you involved in this family and this mother-daughter dynamic you know it, it you really do care about what happens you know and so um and then even special effects for the time you know just very that still just are very you know unsettling you know even then um the additions i go back and forth on whether i like the theatrical or the directors more um i like this obviously the spider walk but there are some things i think could have been scrubbed out that I think are a little, you know, hokey or kind of cheap, you know, you know, with um, some of the like adding symbolism on the wall, you know, yeah. like that was a little unnecessary, but um, the face like on the, yeah, on the hood of the oven. Yeah. A little point. bit, yeah, yeah. a little bit on the nose, you know, yeah. like, but it, it was probably cool at the time, but it feels gimmicking now, I guess you would say, but I agree with you with the sequel. I just, uh, I, I, I kind of, I hate it, but I, I hate watch it. You know what I mean? Because it is entertaining. You know what I mean? Like, but it is not good. <laughs> like so, um, and tonally way different. The third one I hold very high. Um, I, I I feel like I've seen Dominion in the beginning. I couldn't distinguish the two of them. Um, it's been way too long. Um, but the the original is the one I have the closest relationship with, and the one I've seen more, most the most time. So. Yeah, man, I, I we got to do a Dominion episode. Just knowing the fact that Paul, I had no idea that Paul Schrader had made a yeah. an Exorcist movie. Whether it, it might not be good, but yeah, Paul Schrader, come on, yeah, it's got some good stuff going yeah. for it. Honestly, I would, right. it would, it's it's worth a watch. Worth a watch. Yeah. So, um, I had basically didn't watch any of these for real until college. Now, <laughs> major caveat: I did watch them in high school on television during AMC's Fright Fest, which is. If AMC is still a network, is still on, right? Probably happening right now. Uh, so that's to say, I watched one, two, and three. One I watched twice, but it was a TV edit. So a lot of it, I just feel like it kind of kneecaps my experience because there's a lot of hokey stuff, or a lot sometimes like really critical plot things that are just cut out for time. So I thought um, it was really really scary um, in terms of the visceral thrills. A thing I liked about it were the the uh, the time we spent with the characters. You know, I'm especially at that age, I was expecting it to be like a, you know, Halloween, Michael Myers, like the, the killing starts immediately, but it was really cool to be exposed like a slow burn. Now that said, I did come back to the first one, the version you've never seen, the DVD re-release. It wasn't a Blu-ray yet. So I watched that in college and it did have the spider walk in it. And I thought it was 
just an impressive film overall. I cared a lot about the relationship between mom and daughter. I cared a lot about the priest. Just seeing how these people are all kind of on their own journeys and they just happen to intersect in this moment. Um, I thought it was really powerful. Uh, and uh, and just frankly, it's terrifying. I understand why my mother was insisted I never watch it. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's um, a pretty scary movie. The vibes, the idea of just a little girl being rendered completely helpless by demonic forces. Anyway... Great horror, great film. Uh, wish I'd had time to rewatch it before this podcast. Uh, it is currently streaming on HBO, or sorry, excuse me, and Max, the one to watch for HBO. <laughs> and they just released a 4K of it, you know, so. Ooh, hello. Just saying, you know, so. And also, I, frankly, in honor of William Fritkin, I, that's another one I just, mm-hmm. I need to rewatch between uh, that and Sorcerer movie. I've, I've seen that movie numerous times, but just great, 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 great films. Yeah. Uh, and frankly, I'm kind of, ha- well, I'm sure William Kridkin was spared from having to watch this movie. So with that said, let's just get into our reviews of The Exorcist Believer. And Christopher Schultz, I'll start with you. What are your overall thoughts on The Exorcist Believer as directed by David Gordon Green? You know, I I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. It's not a poorly made movie, but it's... Honestly, I found it to be kind of boring most of the time. It was just kind of, I, I, you know, we were just, you were just mentioning the characters and talking about how they, how, how rich they are in the original exorcist. And I just wasn't getting that with this one, you know, Leslie Odom, Odom Jr. is, is very good in it with Mm -hmm. what he has to work with, but he doesn't have a lot to work with. And Neither does really anyone else in the film, um, and Dowd in particular. Um, she just seemed fairly one-dimensional to me. Um, so yeah, for the most of most part, I just kind of, kind of just didn't care. Mm. <laughs> Which could you could argue is a worse crime than being very bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, at least very bad is entertaining. Yeah. But this I'll rewatch is... the second one because it's so bad it's worth the seeing again. Exactly. I don't have any plans, but. Yeah, we're not there. Let me not. Like you say, let me not steal my hand too soon. (laughs) To the point of it being boring, I was embarrassed because I respect Laurent a lot. And there were times where my chin was hitting my chest and I would have to jerk back up Mm because I was damn near fell asleep because I was so bored. (laughs) Yeah. that that, Brock, tell us more because, yeah, so me, Laurent and a friend in front of the show, Ethan Gwynn, all caught this uh, at a nine o'clock showing at the AMC uh, Dolby Theater, which, by the way, was weirdly empty for a Friday opening yeah. night. Uh, it was very bizarre. But uh, tell me, what, what did you think? Well, yeah, of the film? You, you say nine o'clock. So I'm like, was it was it so boring that I would fall asleep, or am I just getting that old? <laughs> no, it's pretty boring. <laughs> during a movie, uh, like Chris said, like Leslie Odom Jr. He did fantastic. I thought. I mean, with what he was given, he was the only person who like seemed to actually carry the film, if he possibly could. Um, I disliked everything else. Like there was a lot of plot holes and, but my, like just things that like would happen. You're like, wait, like these girls are best friends, but the parents have no clue who each other are. So that was just kind of weird. But like the number one gripe that I had, and it started with the trailer was casting Jennifer Nettles uh, in a role that is a horror film. And not because she's a bad actress, but because of what she's done prior country music star, the mom in Righteous Gemstones. So she's, she's that's too like, big. She's too, too big. And so 
she was so funny in Wretched Gemstones that she's already pigeonholed into comedy. So like seeing her, I just can't take anything she does seriously. Which I'm super down for going uh, casting against type. It just it's unfortunate because it's also directed by David Gordon Green. Yeah. So that's what makes it kind of hard. You're like, well, you're against type, but you're it's a similar vibe. Yeah. Even though it's a horror. It, it's got a similar cadence and consistency to it. it just feels off. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't help but think about uh, her character from Righteous Gemstones the entire time because, you know, the accents are similar yes. uh, there. So <laughs> I'm just expecting her to start laying into John Goodman at some point. <laughs> John Goodman shows up as the last exorcist. <laughs> Uncle that Baby Billy, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Baby Billy's exorcism yeah. Bible uh, bunker. elixir. <laughs> you know what? This movie, I didn't think th- this movie could be saved, but you know how we just put it? If, if they somehow turn this into a crossover with the Righteous gemstones i think it could almost make like, it all worth if it if leslie odom jr wins billy baby's bible bonkers the exorcism <laughs> will be a success <laughs> oh it's amazing i just finished season three like a week ago so, so oh it's so good i've never thought i would uh tear up at a righteous gemstones episode but i did uh they have a, yeah it's at least one episode a season they really they got they, a good like just bring it in they, like we it, feel for them they did it well they did it well Dustin Sells, what was your thoughts on The Exorcist Believer? I'm pretty close to Chris, maybe just a hair warmer, but um, I generally, I, I thought it was fine, uh, and which means I don't hate it. I, I think it is what it is. It is an exorcism movie. It does, the, it sets up that plot in that kind of way. There's a couple of sort of red herrings, and I thought that was uh, interesting enough to be fine, you know, because you sort of want to expect the Haitian voodoo or whatever's going on uh, there in that original scene to be the reason or the source. And uh, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that that rug is pulled. And so I, I like that uh, there. I think Leslie Odom Jr. is great. Um, I don't have the Righteous Gemstones viewing in my back of my mind, so I didn't have that other association. But I, I didn't care for that family. And, uh-huh. and I'm, I'm, we're supposed to dislike them, but I didn't care for them because I, I did feel like they were a little bit too flat, a little too easy of that particular kind of Southern, you know, um, Baptist little family, yeah. That they felt they're very, just... you know, it felt like it was drawing them very thinly, and in a way I, I don't appreciate. I'm not going to come to the defense of of any yeah. specific group, but it just felt like it was. It took what people knew about Southern Baptist mm-hmm. and just like minimized it as flat as possible. Yeah, I, yeah, I feel like there's a, a longer cut of this movie that's probably a little better, you know. Yeah. And 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 that's that's kind of where I came out. I was like, you know, this is not a bad time. I mean, I I, I didn't get bored, but I did catch it at seven o'clock, and so <laughs> um, and uh, at my age, I do get milk and cookies time kind of starts hitting around <laughs> around nine. So that that is definitely a thing, and it may I may have been sleepy if I'd caught it later, but no, it was fine. Uh, they and the, the callbacks. And the little references there there's a couple little moments that you're like oh yeah this is sort of borrowing from the iconography from the earlier films and a little fan service there that's not i didn't think it was overbearing and just kind of like a nod of acknowledgement and so I, I had an okay time watching it and so i think it's a very serviceable version of a legacy sequel mm-hmm. uh to that to that franchise i wouldn't probably watch it again but i thought i had a good time you weren't offended by how bad it was or anything it just was, no. it was very fine yeah it was very 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 okay very okay. LaRon Chapman, what did you think of The Exorcist Believer? Um, I think I'm right where Chris is. Um, I feel like um, with this, um, I went in with low expectations because I was one of the people who was very disappointed in the way that the Halloween uh, uh, trilogy uh, that he did um, kind of ended up. Um, I feel like um, with this, though, I, I, I agree. I, I don't think it's poorly made. You know, I mean, it, it's playing the beats. It's just that it's doing nothing else. 
just feels flat, bland, uninspired, generic. These, these are the terms that come to me, you know, as I'm watching it. And I'm like, it just it just decided that there was nothing innovative or new to, to do with this story. Um, and that just doesn't seem like a compelling, way, you know, reason to bring this another trilogy here. If you if you can't milk anything out of the first one, what are we going to do with the next two? I don't know. Um, I agree. Leslie Odom Jr. was great. Um, he kept me in it because I did care, you know, um, he did bring some gravitas there. Um, so I was invested in him, you know, and throughout the story, but frankly, I found everything, you know, honestly, once the exorcism stuff, once the, the demonic stuff starts happening, that's actually when it became less interesting to me. Yeah. I actually thought the buildup, the mystery of the girls being gone and the, you know, that whole all that worked really well for me. And then as soon as the girls come back, then it was all of, then it was like, okay, I know every single thing that's going to happen. And cause and there's going to be nothing, no surprises, you know, and that, that does become numbing after a while. So I wasn't bored so much as I was just like very underwhelmed by it. And so it's, it's very smack down bottom of the barrel average as I can, as it can get for me. And in some ways that's worse because then there's less to analyze about it. So, yeah, I uh, will get to it in spoilers. There was precisely one idea that I thought this movie had, and I don't think it executed it particularly well. We'll save it for spoilers, but uh, you know, if you're going to listen, this is the world we live in. It's all IP. We've talked about it on this podcast a lot. Everything's IP. It's all about franchises and, you know, fill in the blank. It's got to be something people recognize. So yeah, I get it. Uh, you got to make, you know, you, you can, sell an auction the exorcist franchise 400 mil yeah sure i mean no but yeah sure i get it uh you're a filmmaker who is told i have to get three exorcist movies on the docket and made in this time and you're saying i like to work with these guys i like making big budget horror movies yeah sure you don't say no and that is exactly the sentiment i felt watching this movie is that i don't feel like anyone really cared they were just like can we get this exorcist movie out to justify the price tag for this movie and I, you know, the thing about Halloween 2018, a movie I think most of us who have yeah. seen it liked it yeah. enough, is it was very simple. It was bare bones back to basics, but they were able to get really creative with the kills and had that angle on, I wouldn't say it was necessarily the most original angle, but it was an angle on the, the impact of trauma. A different one that had than what had already been explored with H2O. I don't think anything here is new. In fact, I, I mean, I haven't watched The Exorcist 2 or 3 recently but just reading a little blurbs about them online and prep for the podcast today i was like huh they had ideas like mm -hmm. things they were exploring yeah. three went far yeah so like mm -hmm. far away from it so that, that was what was cool about it mm -hmm. i just this this is just it, it's the in my mind it is an example of just studios insisting films get made so they can justify owning it in hopes of making a big hit right mm -hmm. and you know, it was a great movie that came out this year. I made a joke about it. Talk to me. Best possession movie I've seen this year, if not in the most recent years. Yeah. And, you know, that's why I would look for these types of stories. If you're going to bring the exorcist back, you better have a really a good hook, hook good a hook, good and a strong idea about yeah. that. Why are we bringing this back and what's the angle? And and for me, I think I think we're all in agreement. There just wasn't one really for this movie. Mm. Does that mean it's poorly made? I don't think it's poorly made. I think it's highly predictable. And I will say because of how predictable it is, and there was actually a point in our audience where something that was clearly supposed to be <laughs> kind of like dreary or ominous was it I, got a laugh. A laugh out loud. A laugh out loud from like the whole theater. Yeah. 
And that's not a good thing, no. you know? Um, so I, I just think this is probably, it's, a, it's, it's, it's very mediocre. And because of that, I feel like it's a worse offender than at least Exodus 2. Bad, but there's something going on there. Maybe the Exodus 2 will give us the, the heretic vibe, you know? Like, who knows? David Gordon Green did this with the Halloween franchise where you're just like, what? Where are we going? What is this? This is not at all what we signed up for. It's the same reason. And I'll... at least those three movies, even the two bad, I say they're bad. They're not good. Um, even those two at least had ideas. You know what I mean? Like you right. said, they were at least... They were at least massaging new ideas out that were maybe not fully realized or fleshed out or executed right. But, you know, they made they were more watchable. This one, I just feel like I just I, I could have it was on autopilot the entire time. The pulse was not rising, you know, so. Well, and, and again, there are other stories out there who are innovating. And why bring this back if it's, if you're not going to have something something there. Fresh to do. Yeah, or, or a passion or enthusiasm. Maybe David yeah. Gordon Green's a massive fan and you can just feel how much he loves the story. And You know, there are movies like that. There are properties like that that we've seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Scream. this is just not... Yeah, exactly. This is not one of those. What did you guys think about how they handled the legacy elements? Uh, Brock, I'll start with you. I just kind of feel like they were thrown in. They, were, they had already written the script and they were like, okay, how can we push in other things? Because all the legacy elements do not lift the movie. If they were taken out, they wouldn't change the movie. None of them not make sense, but don't make much sense. There's, there's no reason for them. So I think it was just trying to add them in to like, make it seem like, Hey, we know this, we know this franchise, we know the story. This is going to give you that hook to, to draw you in. And it just, it was just, it kind of left me empty. Yeah. Yeah, again, bringing uh, an actress who hasn't been with a movie in over 50 years, it just seems like a big deal, right? You're like, oh, man, you must have a real strong reason for bringing her back into the fold. Yeah, selling tickets. Uh, Chris, what what do you think? Uh, Pretty similar to to Brock, honestly. Um, I I don't feel like Chris McNeil had enough to do in the plot to really justify her being there. Um, I I think that I read that uh, she, Ellen Burstyn, uh, really just couldn't turn down the money at that point and gave it all to her charity. Uh, so, uh, old Ellen. Oh, Ellen. well, that's what I'm saying. When you're at that, when you're at that point, it's like, did someone shows up with that much money? Do you say no? You say yes, but also it's like yeah. create like, yeah. <laughs> maybe they had a better arc and she's like, but I only want to work for like three days. And they were like, shit, we got to, yeah, how do we so. get her out Streamlined. of here? Streamline. Yeah. 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 No, there's definitely a feeling that, that she didn't want to be there. Um, yeah. Or was was just fine enough to be there to, you know, get a bunch of money for her charity. Um, and other than that, I mean, I, I felt like the kind of the, some of the callbacks were a little distracting, I guess, sometimes like it, it, there there was a point where I was like, well, how does is this the same demon? Is that what we're it wasn't implying? clear. It was not clear, was it? Yeah. 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 That could have been the hook that was like, hey, yeah. cool. Same one. You brought it back. That, well, and, and then that's and, relatable. And not that I want to get too in the weeds, but it's like there's there's one is there one demon and two girls. Is it two demons and two girls? Is one of them the same? Like there. And not that I want us to get super in the weeds about all this stuff, but like it, it was very confusing. Yeah. Yeah. So like, if it's not the same demon, how does it know all the lines from the original extras? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
They have uh, conferences. Dustin... They, you know, they, they get together at a hotel. Oh, and, yeah. You know, yeah no, convention every, center. And every drinks. Halloween. It's just like, <laughs> uh, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, uh, possess two girls. I do believe in hell they have Zoom meetings. That's for sure. So, you know. <laughs> Dustin, what'd you think about the usage of legacy elements here? I thought they were fine. I, 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 again, I didn't think they were too heavy handed. I was like, oh, we got dogs fighting. Okay, that's fun. Uh, we just, you know, the little bits like that, just little bits of iconography sort of sprinkled in. And I just went, oh, neat. Yeah, And I just kind of went on and kept watching this possession movie as it takes place. And so I maybe I was just in a particularly charitable mood that day. I don't know. But um, I wasn't bothered by any of it. I was just like, oh, yeah, bits from the thing. And so this connective tissue. And, mm-hmm. and if you didn't know it, it wouldn't make any difference. And so it, it's, it seemed like it was doing the work of you don't have to have seen all the other Exorcist movies to fall into this one, which is sometimes a problem with the movie that you won't understand it at all yeah. unless you've seen all of its sequels. And so I thought it, in so far as doing that, that was pretty successful as far as new audiences goes. It's not entertaining enough to bring a bunch of new audiences in. And I, I expect ticket sales to plummet quite a bit. But as far as the effort of making it penetrable or not you know, so opaque because of its referentiality, I thought it was, I thought it was fine. The Exorcist is certainly about to be exercised by Taylor Swift. There's no <laughs> doubt in my mind about that. You know? yeah. so, uh, Laurent Chabon? You know, I mean, I stand by what I said about this being kind of right down the middle for me, but, and that they're, Really, to me, was nothing particularly offensive about it. But um, as days have passed, I have become like increasingly more angry about how underutilized Ellen Burstyn was sure. in this. And I say that only because you have this Oscar-winning actress who has still been working. She just hasn't been on in this franchise. You know, she was just in a movie a couple years ago, Pieces of a Woman. Mm-hmm. She's very close to being getting an Oscar nomination for that. So she's this is a woman who still has the ability to be involved. And I don't know how involved she wanted to be in this project. And as you mentioned, if she had kind of like, you know, a caveat or what have you, then maybe they had to work around that. But you do feel that in this because you can feel like, I mean, I got a rush of nostalgia and, and a feeling of like for the first time in the whole movie when she came into the fold, cause I was like, okay, now what are they going to do with her? Cause this is when it's going to get interesting. I thought, and then they, I know we're in, we're not, we're not in spoilers yet. So I won't, I'll just say they Halloween tuned her for this. <laughs> yeah, quite literally. They quite literally. literally did okay, that. so and it just yeah. and I'm like that for me and a small part of it just is kind of unforgivable because I'm like you bring this person back just to make her sit down. You know, it just feels like it feels like a waste. You know what I mean? Because there really was an interesting story to weave out of here. I feel like with bringing back again maybe the same demon and now, you know, it's possessed these two girls to get back to Chris, Mc, Chris McNeil because she was able to successfully purge the demon from her daughter. That would well, have been see, an interesting story. It was story. interesting. They called out in the movie, too, that she wasn't actually in the room when the exorcism was occurring. That's true. Uh, and I was like, see, maybe they could have positioned it like, hey, she saw something they didn't because she, w-, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there was there was just a lot. A lot of, a lot of missed opportunities, yeah. a lot of things like, oh, that's an interesting idea, but we're not going to do anything with it. And, like, and it would have been interesting to have her involved with that process in the third act. You know what I mean? Instead of Andal, maybe's character like that. I feel like a lot more that should have been done with her. And then it would have felt like that was a more of a supporting role instead of like a glorified cash grab cameo. And that's what it feels like to me, you know, in the story. Like I, I wasn't offended with it at the time, but in retrospect, thinking about it of what could have been. Uh, it's a little disappointing that she wasn't utilized better because it might have moved this up half a star for me. But do you think Ann Dowd was a reskinned Chris McNeil? 
Possibly. Um, and, like and, and I think Andel's yeah, great, but that's why she came script. off so one-dimensional, di- one like you mentioned. You know, I just... Because she's a great actress, too. Mm-hmm. It's like, and I mean, I think, you know, what little she's given to do, I mean, she does the best she can, but her characters, like you said, is so it's not quite fleshed out enough. And I think it's because we probably took one shade of, like you said, Ellen Burstyn's character, just gave it all to the neighbor, you know? And so in that way, another two just kind of feels derivative in that way. But yeah. Yeah. And Dowd also had, had enough. They were like, Ooh, there's something there, Something, but well, yeah. we're not really going to dig yeah. into that. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't, I won't reiterate too much. I think we're all generally in the same space. Just seems like a missed opportunity. And yeah. it, Again, going back to what I said earlier, it doesn't feel like anyone who was working on this movie, other than maybe Leslie Odom Jr., actually cares about cared about what he was what's doing. What's going on? What he's know? doing? Yeah. <laughs> like he's great. He's amazing. He is easily the best part of the movie. But everyone else, the director, like it's not nothing's bad. It all just feels kind of phoned in. Yeah. You know. Uh, okay. Well, let's go ahead and give this a letter grade, and then we'll move on to our alternate media recommendations before we jump into our spoiler section. What letter grade would you give The Exorcist Believer? Dustin Sells. I'll start with you. I think it's a very average C. Just right. It's a C movie. And so I w- if I was giving it letter grades, yeah, it would definitely be. It's, 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 not, it's not failing. It's not below average. It's just a good middle of the road. It, if it, I, I wasn't mad. I watched it. I, you know, I guess... W- Listening to the rest of the table around us, some of us are a little mad that we watched it, <laughs> but I wasn't mad that I watched it, and I would I would assume uh, generally an audience wouldn't you know be offended and want their money back, and so right. it's a, it's a good C for me. All right, letter C, starting off strong. <laughs> Maybe we'll see. <laughs> Rockley, what letter down from here? I was gonna go D minus, but those Dolby Theater chairs were so comfy uh, <laughs> that I'm gonna bump it up to a D plus. That's right, D plus for Dolby. Best uh, <laughs> best AV in arguably chairs in Oklahoma City. Um, yeah. All right. Laurent Chavin? It's not terrible. It's just bland. And, and, you know, so, I mean, C minus, that's where I'm at. Just just scrape the bottom of average. That's what I feel like with it. All right. Chris Schultz? Yeah, I'd go C minus as well. I'm just going to be the downer. I'm going to go D minus. <laughs> Actually, I have F written down. But, you know, Leslie Odom Jr., he really does show up. And to be fair, I'm probably being overly harsh. It is an adequately made movie. It just yeah. feels like it lacks a soul yeah. <laughs> or a purpose. Mm-hmm. And for me, especially in a world where there are amazing films like Talk to Me that have a significantly smaller budget that are able to run circles around this movie creatively, I would say in the, when it, this movie having so much money and so much talent behind it, this is the best film they can make. It's pretty disappointing to a degree that I want to mark and knock it down a little bit. Just don't make it. If your heart's not in the game, guys, don't play. It's okay. No one's going to harm you. And then so hopefully someone shows up with a good idea next time. Uh, okay. Alternate media recommendations. Brock Lay, I'll start with you. What would you recommend to our listeners in terms of films, television shows, novels, music? Uh, well, instead of going uh, with a film about possession, I was going to go with one about the devil. And it's I Trapped the Devil. Uh, fantastic slow burn film that just really just digs into you and you really keeps you captivated the entire time. Um, it's available for rent on Apple TV. Um, it's about a man and wife who visit his estranged brother on Christmas. So it has a really cool kind of Christmas feel with like really dark with just like Christmas lights up in the house. And when they get there, he says he has a man trapped in the basement and that he's the devil. So the rest of the film, you're trying to find out if this brother is, is crazy or if there's really a man in the basement who 
who's the devil. And it's really, really mm. entertaining. Really good movie. Oh, that's such a great, see, that's a plot hook right there. I'm, I'm in. It's when you have less money, you're more creative because there's no pressure. <laughs> you have to be, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's one of those films. It's is, it's low budget, but it's so well made and it's just, it's a great film. I trapped the devil. Uh, I'm going to bookmark that and get to that. That sounds like Same. a good time. Uh, and it looks like it's like, uh, less than an hour and a half long. That's great. Yeah. Short and sweet. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, LeBron Chapman. Uh, I am going to say talk to me because that's my favorite horror movie so far this year. Um, and you know, I don't want to overpraise it, but I do think they just did quite a lot with a little, um, it's very effective. They found a way to give the possession subgenre a nice fresh hook that's emotionally involving, you know, and there are mere sequences or glimmers in this movie of just flashes of, of things that of imagery that's very like menacing and I've still can't stop thinking about it. And those little glimmers gave me more of a spark than this entire movie. So um, I would say talk to me. And then also, obviously if you haven't seen the original, watch that one. Cool. Yeah. And talk to me, by the way, is available to rent VOD for like six bucks now. So it's not the premium $20, but you know, if you're staying in for a night and want to do an indoor date night, six bucks, totally worth it. Dustin sells. What would you recommend to the listeners? So I, I would recommend two triple bills. Um, and first of all, going with the seventies, um, sort of, uh, religious horror, Holy Trinity, which is to watch the original exorcist, Rosemary's baby and the omen, uh, I, you know, and just sort of like get into that source material. And then I think there's a really, really kind of fruitful moment in the nineties also with religious thrillers as well. And check out bless the child stigmata and end of days. Um, despite the Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, it's still <laughs> kind of a good time. And, uh, so that would be the, uh, couple of, uh, weekends I would recommend uh, if you dig this you'd like I mean then obviously your desire for you know top-notch quality is not exactly there so <laughs> you, you can you could dig that too it's almost as if Dustin designed syllabuses for people to study and I have was an experience. gonna say <laughs> that's that you got me with the stigmata bless the child and what was it last end one? of days end of days because like I've seen all of those and I can see the the the, the connection there um, and I, I think I, I liked all of them those to varying degrees when they came out so mm -hmm. Dustin has taken me to school many times. So uh, listeners, if you like recommendations like that, Good Trash Genre Cast will take you to school too, in a good way. It's always fun. Christopher Schultz, what would you recommend? Uh, I've only seen a few episodes of this, so I can't speak personally to the, the entirety of it. Uh, but I would recommend checking out the Exorcist TV series that came out. Oh um, man, I forgot about that. Yeah, 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 like 2015 or something like that. Mm -hmm. it was Gina Davis, right? Gina Davis, oh, wow. correct? Yeah, you two seasons. I yeah, think. two two seasons. It was cut pretty short, but it's got a cult following, and the episodes that I did see of it were quite good. So um, check that out. Mm -hmm. Give that some love. Okay. I'm gonna have to dig that up on the streaming service and put it in the show notes because uh, people have. I, I remember when it was on, people were talking very highly yeah. of it. Yeah. I think it's on Hulu. Oh, okay, so, perfect. I love me some Gina Davis anyway. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I kind of had me there. Anything. Yeah, Rennie Harlan connection. There we go. <laughs> Bring it back. Bring it back. <laughs> uh, I am good. Well, I, yes. Talk with, to me. I've already shouted it out. Uh, I'm gonna say you know, think David Gordon Green. I don't want to hate on the guy. I yeah. do think the Halloween 2018 was really solid for what it was, especially because the Back to Basics approach. Podcasters got more screen time they'd ever had up <laughs> until that point. But that said, I just think this is what three strikes and you're out. I think he just needs to not, he needs to go do what he does best, which is, 
The Righteous Gemstones, I think is a fantastic show. Me and my wife, Lauren, have literally just finished watching. We, we spent the last like three months, whenever we can, watching that show, half an hour long episodes. Uh, it's like, um, I think the best way to pitch it would be Succession, but mega churches, as written by Danny McBride. And uh, okay. it's a great time. I'm sold. Would be yeah. the white family in this movie if they were uh, better written and they went to this church. That would be there for real. Yeah, for real. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I so I do because I, I want to reiterate. I think David Gordon Green is very talented and yeah. is really good at certain things. And Righteous Gemstones is one of them. And I also uh, removing uh, you know p- potentially problematic people. And the the list is growing, but this is the end. A movie I really like quite a lot. Poking fun at celebrity culture, also dealing with devils and, and whatnot, into the world sort of things. And lastly, I would recommend uh, a film, The Wailing. It's a Korean film mm, from the director Na Hong Jin. Yeah. Uh, now streaming on Amazon Prime for those of you who are subscribed. Highly recommend uh, from overseas. Uh, great film. All right. Uh, well, with that said, let's go ahead and get into our spoiler section for The Exorcist Believer, starting now. The one thing that I walked away from this movie saying, huh, there was a an idea here that I was really into. It was this cross-religion exorcism. Which, by the way, this movie is titled incorrectly. There is not an exorcist. There are exorcists, and none of them are the main one, by the way. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, right. Right. Which I, I also thought was kind of kind of weird. But um, so I I like the idea, and this is something you even see a little bit in Halloween Kills. The idea in a totally different light, but the idea of a community coming together to vanquish evil. You know, it's the angry mob in that movie. Evil dies tonight. Um, what did you guys think about this? Uh, like, what, what do you think about his intention or the idea behind making this shift into a more universalist approach to an exorcism versus making it strictly Catholic? And, and Dustin, I'll start with you. Oh, gosh. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, I, it, it, I, I think the thing that the original exorcist film always did well and the interesting question that it does is to suggest that ancient traditions have something to say in contemporary life. And so by doing that and then affirming that there are other ways other people might progress in that tradition and having representatives of those different sort of versions and groups of this um, to do that, I thought was really, I, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was fine. I thought it was fun. I really wanted, I really wanted to know our sort of various groups a little bit better. I mean, I don't need some sort of like mini catechism like this is, this is how a Catholic does it and this is how a Baptist does it and this is how a Pentecostal would. I, I don't, I don't need that, but just a little bit more about those people and their understanding understanding mm-hmm. and the particular piece of because a lot of this is in the novel of the of the first film a lot of it is the the ritual itself can be healing without there necessarily being any sort of sort of spiritual force involved at all and so finding those pieces of the ways in which you know a pentecostal would approach this or a more baptist kind of approach might be you know sort of a generic evangelical i guess is what you might not call that group rather than baptist per se um, but the way they would do those I, I wish it had more of that kind of thing to it. And so, yeah, I, I thought, I mean, 
Yeah, I thought that was the the only idea for the most part, as far as ideas go, and it was a pretty good one. I just wish I knew more about those characters and what exactly those traditions bring. The the, the most fleshed out um, is that sort of uh, uh, African tribal um, mm-hmm. sort of uh, medicine uh, combined with Christianity that's brought in. Uh, Which for hers is more like a pagan like sort of right but she invokes like the psalms and the blood of lamb and that kind of stuff and so it seems like this sort of syncretistic kind of you know her seemed to be the only one in terms of the the, in terms of the moments the movie gave those individuals she's the one who seemed to get the most air quotes action in terms of Mm -hmm. flashing and she was the one i was most interested to get to know more yeah for sure of the supporting throwaway character she just shows up because we had almost enough from her like because mm-hmm. we Almost. met her a couple times yeah. and and not near enough for the rest was yeah, sure. sort of my my thought there. Yeah, I would say I'm spot on with you. I think that's my bigger problem. It's not that I need to understand the ins and outs of the belief system or how the air quotes mechanics of an exorcism works. But the thing about the first film is you really know the priest very very well. I mean, gosh, it's what over an hour into the movie before there's any sort of actual exorcism mm-hmm. type activity, and it's because you're spending so many times so much time with those characters. And I know when you have a broader cast. You're not going to get that same amount of time, but is there any way we can give all those people like a real scene? Again, yeah. the I think it was Baptist, maybe it was just evangelical to be more general, but the church guy had nothing. He mm-hmm. literally was just showing up there. He started yeah. saying the Lord's Prayer at one point, and that, that's all we got. Yeah, and you're our superhero. You're our you're our, you're our <laughs> spiritual <laughs> avenger. You know, like it just felt very yeah. Very tacked on. But. Yeah. Lauren, what did you make of uh, how they deployed this? Cro- I, I very much echo what both of you said. I, it's the one semblance of a of an interesting idea that's just not fleshed out in this. And I think that, um, uh, yeah, that, it, it you know, it, again, it, 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 it goes back to thinking about what could have been in this story. Like, like you have these, obviously, a thread of an idea that's interesting. Why didn't you lean into that instead of? falling back on what felt safe or tried and true has already been done. Um, Cause when you take no risks, you know what I mean? It feels like, well, again, what was the point? You know, like you don't come back just to do the same thing. You come back to do something new and what's new here just kind of looms over the movie. It doesn't really get massaged in. And I felt like that's, that's a missed opportunity, but yeah, I did like, I did at least like the reference that, Catholicism or Christianity in general wasn't the wasn't the all all being force that could vanquish this demonic force. That it there were there was a more of a progressive, inclusive idea that maybe all these other things maybe there maybe it takes fourteen different types of faiths to come together to do this. You know, like that's that's interesting. You know, wherever you stand on the belief system, it, it as an idea for the story, it would be interesting. I think, but mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, definitely a lot of room to explore again more uh, ideas yeah. uh, Brock what did you think of this uh, this approach to exorcism yeah bringing in all the kind of the different religions was I guess kind of the the new thread they tried to present to make it different and you have you know you have Leslie Odom Jr. who is no longer a believer because of what happened uh, in the opening scene and then you have you know kind of the the pagan uh, stuff that they're doing and then you have the the family who course goes to probably like a, like a Baptist church, like we were saying. And it's just, you know, in that moment, your faith is not wavering, but like, you're just worried about what's in front of you, which is your child. And so it's them relying and trusting on other religions that they've never really kind of thought about before, thought about, you know, getting into. And it's just like, whatever, 
works to save my child. So it's kind of them just having faith in each other, even though they all believe different things, just whatever works to save, you know, the souls of these kids. And I thought that was the one kind of interesting thing about it. Again, they just didn't go deep enough, but it's just kind of not abandoning what you believe, but willing to look into other religions and see the, that there are good and other things that and they're just trying to help as well. So yeah, you brought up a good point that something we haven't really talked about yet, which is the title believer. And that's an allusion to Leslie Odom Jr.'s character. I, I just have to say he's supposed to be the main character. I think. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, man, that arc's just not there. And th- you know, that could have been a really good vehicle for us to get him there is he's like learning about himself as he's encountering these different perspectives mm-hmm. and then it brings it together in a climactic moment where he's like, you know, what? I do believe in something, but at the end of the day, the only reason I led to believe he believes in anything is that, Oh, some crazy stuff's happening right in front of me. So I guess it's real now. You know, you, yeah. you don't really, I didn't feel this like, Oh, I've, you know, I, I think of things like, um, signs we were talking about. That's a, a that movie is about a man restoring his faith, not finding it. But I mean, the idea that there's a clear beginning, middle end to this person's journey, I just, I felt like it was missing. Did you guys, what did you guys think about that? Um, in terms of how fleshed out it is for yeah. lesbian. Yeah. I, I, I feel did like. Did you buy it? N- no, I didn't buy it emotionally. I, I get it on paper because it's clear that's what they're trying to do. It's clear. It's very obvious. I think as soon as he, we learn he doesn't have faith. Okay, well, this movie is going to be where he comes back to understanding, like, okay, you've made a believer out of me. But I feel like that's phoned in. I feel like that's very, very just kind of uh, streamlined to the point where it's not, yeah, it doesn't have the impact you want when that moment does happen. I still don't believe that. You know, you know, I'm still not convinced. At least not. At, at least not. I'm not. I'm not invested in it in that moment. So, um, yeah. But I think that could have something to do with just how the film is structured. And how so many things aren't really fleshed out. I don't. I think that could have landed. You know, if this was a better film. You know, like, but yeah, yeah, yeah. There are the threads of kind of a faith arc for him because mm-hmm. it, because we're in spoiler territory. The, the the way in which the exorcism ends was with this awful Sophie's Choice kind of moment mm-hmm. uh, there at the end, and he's given a, a Sophie's Choice earlier on, and and the idea that he has to pick that, and he's sort of blaming God. And I think about this old George Whitfield quote, which says, "Your God sounds a lot like my devil." Mm-hmm. If God put yeah. me in a position to make that choice, that sounds more like the other team, right? Yeah. And sort of like him being, you know, coming to a point of realizing that this is not, that that event was not this, and this event's not this, and don't play their game. You know, it would, it could have been, mm. but it's like the threads were there, but they just didn't quite pick them up. And, well, yeah, the way you described that. it's great, and it, I, that is technically in the text, but they, the, the movie doesn't put enough attention on it right. at all for it to have a, mo- like where he has a moment where that's where, he, it, it didn't really feel like to me he had any agency, honestly, mm, yeah. in the situation. The story is like, it's like, it's set up for him to think that, but the character doesn't have agency over it. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, he's like on for, he's like on a roller coaster. He's like, well, this is crazy. And, he and doesn't happening. it feel like to all of you, I'm wondering, just open it up. Like, does it feel like um, the, the other family is so underwritten to the point of almost, it feels, it almost feels intentional so that we don't, uh, we're in spoilers now, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, so when it, when we ultimately get to what the choice, as you mentioned, Sophie's choice, it almost feels like that was telegraphed in such a way so that we wouldn't care. <laughs> I mean, yeah. and, or I don't know if it's just bad writing or if it was just, or if it, if, or if one half of this demonic coin, you know, was more fleshed out. Because I definitely saw the dynamic with uh, Leslie Odom Jr. and his daughter that we get scenes with them before before she ever 
becomes possessed. And I feel like the other girl is introduced very haphazardly. Like she's just kind of like, oh, here's my friend. And then they don't even, like you mentioned earlier, like the families don't know each other. You know what I mean? And, but they're best friends and they're they're both going out in the woods to do this ritual that we don't see much of. In- well, we have clear ideas about why uh, Leslie Jr.'s daughter would right. want to, mm-hmm. to commune but with the spirits. It's not balanced you know. though, yeah. right? It doesn't yeah. it feel like she's just kind of, I don't know. I just, I, I'm willing to forgive the sudden friendship. I having parented teenagers, okay. all of a sudden they have a new best friend this week. Mm. That's like a thing they do, mm. and so I'm like, I'm I'm okay with forgiving that part of it. But I think you're right that they, I, I was uninvested at all in, the in her side. survival. Yeah. You know, it just it, she just also ran. By the way, there's this other person who happens to be possessed, and right. and I did feel like that was an error. Well, when it when you and it also makes not only does it kind of rob that that the story and the character beats uh, and the, and the choice, but it's almost comedic. It's like, well, obviously the dad, one of the parents is going to like cave to the demonic. It just felt so yeah. predictable. Imagine mm-hmm. if we cared about both girls, right. then this scene would actually have impact. And the parents at least a little bit. You're like, Oh, I, this is yeah. a tough choice. You know, you understand why the, the emotion behind, I know I'm sacrificing this other little girl, but you know what I mean? Just, Cause just I think there. the whole hook for this movie outside of it, just being an, an exorcist movie, was that there's two possessions mm-hmm. in this one, but that but they don't really do anything with the idea of there being two girls. It might as well have been one. You know what I mean? At this point, I mean, because you almost could have written out the whole girl and the other family and just made it about mm-hmm. him, and it still would have felt like the same movie to me. I don't think there was enough emotional stakes on the other side of this coin to really care or be invested with. It. It's just kind of there for the effect of seeing two two ghoulish looking girls. Yeah, but I don't know. Well, Chris, I need to bring it back to you because we didn't really talk about cross religion yeah, yeah. Uh, in exorcism with you. What was your take on this? And you can on any of the things we've talked about, actually. Um, there's a there's a line in the trailer that is not in the movie, which is the I, and I think it's Chris McNeil that says it. Um, it's just there's uh, every religion has its own version of the exorcism mm-hmm. and you're going to need them all. And so in terms of this cross religion, you know, knockdown drag out, it just didn't pay off at all. And so it's, it's telling that that line isn't in the final product because there really isn't, it's the trailer sets you up to think that there's going to be this just like, (laughs) you know, again, this knockdown drag out of, of just like grueling exorcism that takes hours and hours and hours. And, you know, that's something in the original that you get too. that the, how exhausted they are doing Mm -hmm. this and you just never feel that. Um, so again, it's a great idea. I think it's something that when I saw the trailer, I was the most excited about of like, Oh, okay, this, this, we're going to, we're going to back it away and we're going to broaden the scope a little bit to have this, you know, interdisciplinary exorcism. And again, it was just so the payoff of it was just so weak. Again, you, you had the one, the one pastor who just kind of is there and says some Lord's prayer here and there, but he just is literally standing around the, um, the woman, I don't, I don't, the Haitian woman, I guess, I'm not quite sure who, what religion she was, but again, she had the most to do with it, but, at the end of the day, it just, it wasn't enough. It wasn't yeah. exciting. It wasn't, yeah. you didn't feel that tension in the room. Um, and to get to the the whole Sophie's choice thing, I mean, again, just like everyone said, it's like this other little girl is just sort of there. You may as well just have had one and find out, 
figure out a way to do some kind of Sophie's choice in that moment with one girl rather than Uh two. Um, Because having two just didn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Again, a lot of uh, conceptually just sounds appealing to two girls, but didn't pay off so much. I mean, do you guys, I mean, I I just want to toss it out there. Do you guys think there are any other approaches to exorcism or possession that you've seen recently? I mean, we had a movie called The Pope's Exorcist. I don't know if you heard about this. <laughs> now on Netflix with Russell Crowe. It wasn't Crow. good, but it was more entertaining. <laughs> I got memes of Russell Crowe on a moped. That's all that matters. Okay. Priest on a moped. Uh, I mean, is there anything else you guys would recommend or, or maybe other movies that tackle these idea, this idea similarly that you'd like to, to share? I'm just going to open it up. Well, we, 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 we've talked, we've kind of referenced Talk to Me several times, but I mean, without spoiling it for people who haven't seen it, um, in general, I just like the idea that they took possession and they they kind of likened it to um, the euphoric high you get when when doing recreational drugs. Things that pe- a lot of people can use as a numbing agent to deal with grief and pain and, and trauma and things of that nature. And they found a really clever way to kind of attribute that to teen youth dealing with grief and how every time they interact with this this relic that that you know creates this uh possession of 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 lost souls if you will um, um when those souls inhabit their bodies when they come out of that space they feel they feel better about the situation they're in so you can kind of see how especially vulnerable youth dealing with that having some kind of escape from what they're not ready to process yet, why they would keep returning to that, even though it sounds silly, like who would do that? But I feel like in the movie, at least it makes sense. Teenagers, teenagers, <laughs> they, they do drugs for, for less, for less serious reasons. But, um, but here there is a reason and there, there's, there's kind of an emotional hook there. And um, so I thought that was an interesting idea of, 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 you know, here it is. Yeah, there's possession, but it's not, it's not your demon priest, like, you know, the same beat for beat sort of thing we've seen in possession movies over the last 30, 40 years, you know. Um, it was the first time I was like, what can they even do with this anymore? You know what I mean? Which is why I was actually apprehensive about this film. Um, but then Talk to Me came out before, and I was like, well, maybe there's something in the universe, uh, a fresh idea. But this one reverts back to what happened before. So, um, but. I enjoyed that. One thing I want to mention about the uh, the, the the possessed girls, though, um, that I was missing from this, it's like, I don't feel like there was a standout moment once with either one of them in the possessed form that that just stands out as the moment. You know what I mean? The way that we get in the old the original Exorcist. You know, the, I mean, even like the, I mean the the, the demons were a little hornier. <laughs> you know, I mean, I hate to put it. I mean, like, but sure. they were, they were, they were, there was a, there was a, there was a sexual violence aspect mm-hmm. added to it that made it so much more unnerving and uncomfortable. And I just feel like these kind of just play the, you know what I mean? Like the, they the, kind of felt like they were asleep half the time. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of lethargic and whatever. Like, I mean, there's a couple of lines. Yeah. They look gross. Like the makeup's okay. But I mean, but I feel like there was a moment, there was an opportunity there too for, for the demons to have a lot more to say. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that that just gets kind of squandered here for some reason. Because I really thought in 2023 that we're going to get some pretty racy things to be said. And the, the most offensive thing I saw was what we all 
mentioned in the maybe kind of maybe sort of looked like masturbation in the in the, the church, oh we, we the had church, a conversation church, afterwards yeah. we, uh, the three of our three of us were like is and that I, masturbation and i was I, like are we going there and i was like okay we're in a church she's masturbating kind of kind of maybe and i thought the 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 beat drop was gonna her gonna say something or do something to but we don't even touch on it. Yeah. They're, they're afraid to touch these subjects. And it's just like the, 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 the what was it? 73? Yeah. 73. yeah. The, you know, like they, they, they did it there. You know what I mean? So, well, I, it's just funny. It, it kind of goes to show you how things have changed in the, the since the seventies in terms of like what studios are willing to back. Because uh, I know you say you're expecting something edgy and racy, which is what you would would expect from a follow up to The Exorcist, which in the 70s was as directed by William Friedkin was that. Mm-hmm. But I just it, it's everything so sanitized these days with big these these big studio films, everything from superhero movies to to mm-hmm. horror films to comedies. What few comedies we have, it just uh, it's like they're afraid to offend people, I guess. And yeah, I, I don't know if it's that so much as it we're we're more careful with child actors. I I, I, I want to. Sure. Want to come to bat a little bit for it, sure. because I mean the things that Linda Blair had to do. She was like uh, harmed irreparably. From yeah, what I understand. Yeah, and and so I I would suggest that you you get an actress to do this kind of thing, and they are 11, 12, 13 years old. That yeah. that can be really scarring. Sure. And so I mean, it would be a hard call to make them be more blasphemous or more overtly, yeah. you know, um, scatological in some sense. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Speaking Rock? of Linda Blair. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Good, good segue. Well, is, is there anything else anyone else wants to say about other possession movies that we just want to call that have been more interesting? Recently? I want to mention John Lindquist's novel for Let the Right One End, yeah. uh, which is a vampire story, which you don't get much of this in the films, but it's very much whatever happens when a person is um, infected by the vampire thing. It is it is a sort of a co-soul possession mm-hmm. uh, in the novel, and you sort of see a bit of the battle between the will of the one person versus the will of the vampiric force. And I, and I think that being inside that head, and again, a novel can do this, but in a way that a film can, that's probably why the, the two uh, American and Swedish adaptations did not do this in the films. But I thought that was really fascinating. Um, and so I'd recommend reading that book. Uh, the English translation is really good. Awesome. And so I liked it quite a bit. Okay, yeah. good recommend. I have Hereditary. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just, again, like kind of the possession... Uh, when oh the main actress um Tony well, Collette Tony Collette when she watches her husband burn alive and she's you know distraught and crying and then all of a sudden her whole demeanor just changes after she gets that possession and then it's just nothing so just that's one of the creepiest things is just how quickly you know you you're gone and so I that movie's terrifying and then I mean just the end of it and everything after that where she's on the wall and you don't know till she moves. <laughs> that was a very mm. effective movie. Very terrifying. Movie. Well, and, and to that point, that's my, that's my thinking too, is you don't have to reinvent the wheel to do something different or strong, you know, uh, because I think that movie just has a really good job at you living in her head and seeing her slowly descend into this vulnerability of letting demons, demonic forces in, you know, like you see her whole journey to getting there. Right. So that's Mm -hmm. the possession itself is not necessarily reinventing the wheel, but the way they present it on the screen is so effective. Just being a really good actor. (laughs) just sells it really good. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of vampires, I actually meant to do this in my alt media recommendations, but I'll throw out there. I just finished my first rewatch of uh, midnight mass, which is also a vampire story. But the reason I'm going to call that out is a, I just think that thing's a masterpiece from start to finish. One of the best mini like standalone series I've ever seen. One of, for me, the the most, what in my thirties, one of the 
explorations of faith <laughs> via vampires. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the most powerful explorations of faith I've seen that I feel like is most palpably from where I'm at in my life today. But the thing I want to note about it is that uh, it hones in on the priest character a lot. And again, obviously that's a TV show with, I think it was seven episodes versus, you know, a two hour movie. So you can't do it all the same. But I think the thing that was really important to me in the original Exorcist that's also very present in that show is that you really get a, per, a really clear understanding for what these people, what philosophies and ideologies are driving these individuals to enact air quotes God, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that which just really was missing for me in this film. Not necessarily possession, but I do think relevant. And, uh, you know, more vampire mm-hmm. stuff. Always, always more vampires. <laughs> uh, okay, yes. Speaking of... Oh, Chris, anything you want to add? Oh, uh, yeah, I would say the novel uh, A Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Tremblay. Um, I don't want to say too much about it because it's a great book to just dive right in, but it does deal with possession and um, media, and uh, it's it's just really fantastic, so... Yeah, check that one out. Yeah, okay. Piqued my interest. So, yes, uh, Ms. Blair. <laughs> so is there. It, she, For five seconds, you blink I, the I actually, when she shows up, when when we got we cut back to the hospital, I was like, it, it, you, and you see it coming, and you're like, no, they didn't bring her back. Cause she, I, I'm pretty sure, based on her experiences in the earlier films, she I'd heard read her say that she had no interest in returning to any of these movies ever again. Right. So I was like, no way they got her back, and there she is. But then at the same time, you're like, she did absolutely nothing. Because <laughs> we were not invested in her mother's arc in this movie. Um, we couldn't, and right? Even, even like we couldn't even like force ourselves to be even like with like what existed before in the original to now, like because the movie just gives her nothing and gives her no, it gives her no, you know what I mean? No, no, no placement in the story outside of the reference, the passing reference that she also had a daughter that was possessed, you know, and so we can't be invested in that emotionally because she didn't get enough scenes to flesh that out, and so. It's unfortunate, but didn't, did any of you read an article that Linda Blair was not going to be in this? Yeah. I, I swear I read, read that, I, I, so I was really anticipating, I was like, oh, the reason they're referencing her, and like, oh, she's away from, you know, um, uh, Chris Fidel's character here, and they wrote this whole storyline about how she hasn't seen her since after the books. I just assumed that that was their way of writing off the character because she couldn't come back for it. And then she shows up, and I was like, oh. Okay, well, they got her for a day. You know. uh, half day. Half day. Half and they day, probably yeah. paid her an absurd amount of money for the half day. Just yeah. to do that one moment. It's, it it kind of made Chris McNeil unlikable for like kind of the some of the stuff that like they presented her with, like writing a best selling book about her daughter. I don't know, just talking about, you know, the two priests that like saved her daughter. And they're like, well, they wouldn't even let me in the room. Kind of just, I don't know, some things that she said just seemed unlike her character from the 73 version. So it was just kind of, it was just kind of weird. Well, again, it's just it's un, it's unfortunate because there's a there there that we didn't go to, so it's hard to sympathize with it at all. It just comes across yeah. as kind of crass surface level, like oh, so you exploited your daughter for money and and resent the priest for exercising her. You know what I mean? That yeah. that's kind of that's all we got, really. Yeah, seems kind of weird. Uh, what did you? So what did this film get right or wrong about legacy sequels? And I say legacy sequel is a term that was coined by Matt Singer. Uh, uh, alongside the release of Star Wars, uh, The Force Awakens in 2015. They've been around longer than The Force Awakens, but they weren't called a thing. Mm. It wasn't like a term. Or more popularly uh, by Scream 5, uh, they they also recoined it a requel. Uh, mm-hmm. This is definitely not 
a requel though, so because it's too different from the original. What, what did this film get right or wrong, or maybe what are the best ones do that this film doesn't? Any thoughts, LeBron? I just feel like it 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 doesn't it didn't get any of them right. You know, I feel like it, this is the worst case scenario. I feel like in terms of legacy sequels, in terms of bringing back these other characters into the fold and and then wasting them. You know what I mean? Because at least with David Gordon Green, as much as I have issues with Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends. Jamie Lee still gets to be a badass in that series. You know what I mean? So she's still utilized to great effect, even if some of the films don't really hold up as well as I'd like them to. Um, here, I feel like this was this was fan service of the highest order, soulless cash grab. It doesn't feel like they learned anything, you know, in that in that regard. So this, I'm not sure that this would be a good example of a legacy sequel. No. Yeah, and so 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 you're saying big takeaway here is you got to bring your if you're going to bring your OGs back they got to be a badass Make at least because so, oh, well here you go Scream is a great example where we we do bring Nev Campbell back into the fold she is kind of in in Scream Five she is still kind of a cameo but she comes in at the most important part of the story and she is given something to do you know what I mean like so that's that's an example where her and Gail both of them weren't very. You know, um, they don't get a whole lot of screen time to make room for the new generation of of characters that they're trying to flesh out. But they are utilized in the the moments that are the most effective. You know, I wrote down Scream Two, I as well, no. not Scream Two. Yeah, just well because with Scream it's personal, like right. and so they bring back Sydney because it's personal, like to her. And with Reagan in the '73, it's a random thing then that it's just her so it could have been anybody but there, it's just a random possession and that's the same with this it's a random so there's no through line there's no personal matters that go with either one of them so bringing her back there's nothing really to tie it to because like with sydney like with five i think they were trying to pull her out use those people to pull her back in mm -hmm. and that was the that was the reasoning and so with this there's no reason for chris mcneil to come yeah. there's nothing personal about it other than the fact that he just knows that her that her daughter had it too. And there's probably, you know, so that just kind of falls flat just right there. Although we do get that line that because apparently they've all had these PowerPoint presentations, they all show each other that the demons recognize her. Yes. You know, yeah. you get that one. Line, you know what I mean? It's very vague. I've been, I've been scraping her. Reagan into the side of your desk yeah. this uh, entire <laughs> podcast. Oh, oh, shoot. Okay. Uh, Chris, what do you, what do you think? What is, Maybe uh, sounds like what what is a good legacy sequel do that this film fails to do? Anything you want to add? I think a good one, kind of what Laron and Brock have both been touching upon, is you bringing bringing back OG characters, but giving them something really significant to do. And again, you know, Sydney and and Gail and and even to some degree Dewey, although he's in it a little bit more than the others. Um, they, ha they all have something they do. They have a very key specific role to play and, you know, they go to Chris McNeil to, because she's the expert, right? Like, and, and then she gets, we haven't, we haven't mentioned this yet, but she gets blinded <laughs> by a crucifix and yes. is in the hospital <laughs> yes. for the rest of the film. Uh, I, okay, I, because the movie was not great, every time we saw her in the hospital with the eye patches, I kind of chuckled to myself because I'm just imagine the day she goes into that shooting. It just seems so silly. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. oh, yeah. She's like giving them advice from the, the, with these the hospital. Eye bed. patches on. You have to go and do the, it's like, yeah. 
This is what she used her for. You know, I'm just feeling it feels offend. That's the part that does feel. I thought she was gonna go Johnny Depp from Once Upon a Time in Mexico and yeah. just. <laughs> well, see, it would be crazy if right. she showed up. I, I mean, I don't. At know, the like, last minute, it would have been something. cheesy, but it just would have. That's what I'm saying. I think if she wasn't gonna be involved in the final, final act, then there really was no purpose for her to be here outside of a passing knowledge for the audience to say that, oh, they're connecting the story. I yeah. wanted her to have the Clint Eastwood entrance moment, not the priest. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. That would have been Definitely. great. That's yeah, the pri- that would have been We even good. talked about that either, how the priest was also wasted. There was all this buildup about the priest, the priest, the priest is going to come, and then... Oh, actually, we can't. I can't do anything for you. I'm going to sit in my car and pray for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like, it just felt a little... like, But that would have been a good, a good entry point because he couldn't do it. You know what I mean? She steps in the last minute. I mean, yeah. again, would have been cheesy, but at least it would have been. So it brings like back the reskinned, yeah, uh, Chris stick. McNeil aspect of it. Too. Yeah. Like I feel, I feel like Ann Dowd was was rewritten into this mm-hmm. where Chris McNeil should have been. Yeah, for um, sure. But yeah, but then the Linda Blair at the end too. It was. I mean, I mean, again, it just sort of it like happened. oh, and then Linda Blair's here, um, and there she goes. Yep. <laughs> movie's done. Do you think they bring her in in two? Do you think no. that they just? I mean, so I, I wondered that, that they have to bring if, her in if now? she's like the torch pass on, you know, for that. I mean, if we even get it to at this point, that's what's weird about it. Because I think we have to. At it's this already point. greenlit. We have too much money to recoup. I mean, it is all. It is greenlit. I did get a press release like over a month ago, which was also red flag that I got a press release about it before this one came out. I mean, I got, they are going to work. David Gordon Green originally was like they were confident he was going to direct, but in an interview this last weekend, he's like. You know, we haven't really decided anything yet, but yeah, other than that they're making that today, one. Yeah. That he was not necessarily locked in to do the sequel. They'll make it, but he might not be the director. Right, right. Uh, which for him, frankly, I think is probably a blessing in disguise. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you're right, Dustin Brock. I would love it if they bring her, if they're going to insist on a sequel, which they are. Uh, if she's going to at least give this appearance some purpose mm-hmm. in the next movie. Yeah. Uh, Dustin, anything else about legacy sequels you want to I think add? a legacy sequel has to um, bring new blood in and the OGs and effectively pass a torch. And I think yeah. the best example of that are the Ryan Coogler, Michael B. Jordan Creed movies. 100%. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I think that's the most effective sort of way in which you integrate the storyline, characters, and even repeat some of the beats but show difference yeah. and mm-hmm. distinction. And I think that, that's probably the best example of it. And those I've movies seen. just got better. Yeah. yeah, they did. That was incredibly good. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, the Creed movie. That... We did a review for Creed 3 earlier this year, and it was like, wow, I never would have expected this would have been. Uh, yeah, I had zero interest, but I was this... like, Michael B. Jordan. And then Michael what are the B. better trilogies we've or, gotten in the last Or Jonathan years? Majors before before we learned other things. But, like, you know, like, yeah, so they're, I enjoyed it, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good example. Yeah, nothing much more to add. I mean, I think, Dustin, you, you summed it up. There is a torch passing. There's a l- lessons need to be imparted. Mm-hmm. You bring in the elder statesman who has this experience. And it's a similar experience, but not exactly the same. But there's a key thing, key lesson or idea, something they can pass along to your your new crew that is the key to them unlocking the potential they need to accomplish their goals. And this just was totally missing all of that, 100% of it. And I think that's a bummer. Um, you know, and I would even say, I, I mean, I don't think that Star Wars trilogy, we're not going to talk about it too much. I don't think it paid off wholesale but i will say the first two entries i really felt like they were achieving that really well hey your your core oldies have these ideas they're imparting down to the next generation that factors heavily into their story mm-hmm. uh the new generation story in that movie yeah um which yeah just uh, 
totally failed here. Do you guys want another one? Let's be real. Do you guys want one that we, anyone? Exorcist? Yeah. No. 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 no, I don't think we need it. I mean, not from this version anyway. I wouldn't mind another Exorcist movie, but we need a new creative team entirely, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, any other thoughts about the Exorcist? <laughs> Didn't believer? make a believer out of us. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. We are not believing we, here. We believe in as much as Leslie Jr. does at the end of this movie. We're, we're sitting there like... I'm still I'm still questioning. Like, but, but, but you know, like Leslie Adam Jr., the studio system will continue to produce demons that we are just like, I guess we're here. We're, we're around. You're right. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, uh, listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, once again, if you enjoyed this conversation, make sure to rate and review us on your preferred podcast app. Uh, I want to turn it over to our guests so they can share where that you can follow them and all the cool things they're doing online, starting with you, Mr. Brock Lay. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Brock Ness Monster, and I'm on Behance at Broccoli Design. All right, Laurent Chapman. Uh, you can follow my my reviews on Letterbox at Black underscore Santa underscore Man. All right, and uh, Laurent's been really upping his Letterbox game, ladies and gentlemen. So it's try good. to keep up. You're doing good. Keep it up, uh, Dustin Sells. Uh, so I don't play on the Twitters anymore, but I am on Mastodon. You guys were talking about threads. I'm like, I did the Mastodon thing, and I'm having a good time. So if you want to follow me, and I do a lot of tournaments of movies against one another in nice. polls uh, there. But I'm Dustin Sells at C.im uh, is where you can find me there. And also Good Trash Media stuff at GoodTrashMedia.com. All right. Chris Schultz? Uh, you can find me on Instagram. I'm underscore Agastus underscore. Uh, that's A-G-H-A-S-T-U-S. And, uh, of course, you can find me, man, I, Instagram, I guess, is, and it's not even like, if you look at my timeline, it's not my movie opinions, uh, but yeah, Instagram stories, I guess, is the best place, C Masters Talk, Letter C Masters Talk, that's the same as my Letterboxd, um, also the same name for threads, I'm kind of on threads a little more than Twitter, but just barely, yeah, not really doing Twitter too much these days. Uh, and of course, you can find all the things we're doing over here at the Cinematropolis, over at the Cinematropolis.com. and ladies and gentlemen, we are ramping things up, we are just about to dive into the really Oscar Beatty season, which is very, very exciting. Uh, So in our next episode, we're going to be reviewing the highly anticipated Martin Scorsese Western epic Killers of the Flower Moon. Don't ask why, but I already have plans to see it three times uh, uh, somehow. And it's a three and a half hour long movie. So I'm trying to figure out how I I know in like a week well, two weeks. Uh, I'm trying to figure out how to cut it down. But, you know, you like it. I re- <laughs> it's gonna be real awkward. really hard the next yeah. two times <laughs> uh, but yeah this has been a long one coming uh, we've been talking about this movie on this podcast uh, ref- passing reference since almost since this podcast started Scorsese started working on this in 2017 and in pre-production pandemic delayed it a year yeah excited to see how it turns out his first film since The Irishman so listeners you won't want to miss it oh lastly gentlemen all of you, thank you so much for joining us thank on you. the Cinemax Mag today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Listeners, catch it next time.